0: Hey, everybody, it is the Drive to School podcast. I am Pastor Goodman, your host, and uh, my good friend David Zills is back. How are you?
1: I'm doing okay. Uh, my brain is waking up slowly, but that's why there's coffee. We're recording in the morning, so, you know, that's what you yeah, get. Yeah, we...
0: <laughs> we're doing our best. Um, we've been talking about deconstruction, uh, and it's one of those, those sort of um, – trendier words, but we were talking before we started recording and it's, it's a newer word, but it's not necessarily a newer problem. And that might be sort of a good thing to remember when I I talk to you about what we're going to tackle today. And that is, what do you do if somebody close to you is, is going through a deconstruction? If, if, if it's your kid who doesn't want to go to church anymore, if it's your friend who is struggling with the faith, how do you, how do you help your neighbor who is deconstructing?
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, last time we talked about what happens if I'm deconstructing, and I think, you know, that's a very difficult situation to be in. I've I've been there, and it was very difficult, but I think it can be, you know, equally as painful if there's someone close to you who's going through this, because um, when you deconstruct, it's not like you're just questioning, ah, do I like the Bengals or the, the Browns? You know, it's, I live in Ohio, but um, <laughs> But uh, you know, it, it's not just stuff that you can kind of like just easily change. You're questioning things that are central to like what, how you view reality, how you interact with the world, and it's it can lead to this identity crisis, and it can really disrupt relationships close to you if those relationships have a faith component. And so, whether you're deconstructing or um, someone you love is deconstructing, it's it, it can be very, very difficult and very painful. Um, but yeah, I think your point about this is nothing new. You know, as as uh, to quote uh, scripture, you know, what does it say in Ecclesiastes? There's nothing new under the sun. Is that just a phrase or is that actually from Ecclesiastes? That's actually in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There. Okay. And then, um, you know, the great hymnist Kenny Chesney famously said, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So, um,,
0: we're, uh, what, we're right there. I'm gonna go ahead and confess to being a deconstructed Browns
1: fan. Um, <laughs> let's <just> keep going <laughs> okay well yeah it's 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 a, it's a relatable place to be, but um, yeah, but like you know i was I was talking to you before this, how um a couple of years ago, I picked up a short little book, it's you know a millennia and a half old but it's Augustine's Confessions. And we think of Augustine as like, oh, this great hero of the faith. But when you read his confessions, which I expected to be super dry and like, "Uh, this guy lived in a different time. He's writing about theology. This is going to be really boring. And then I read it and it was like super heartfelt and relatable. And I felt like I was talking, like reading the diary of my next door neighbor that like had confided in me and said, hey, I'm really struggling. Can you help me? And I I was blown away by how relatable and personal it was. And some things that stood out to me that relate to the deconstruction theme are Augustine went through the same deconstruction thing. So we have a new word, deconstruction, that kind of gives us a label for how to talk about it, makes it this, you know, a nice hashtag on social Mm -hmm. media, but the the phenomenon has been around for ages. And the things we wrestle with today, people have been wrestling with, you know, in scripture it says, you know, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Like the things that I'm facing, other people are facing and have faced. And I think that can be incredible encouraging because it means i'm not alone it's not like this is something no one else has ever dealt with and when i read about augustine you know he had intellectual issues with christianity you know he was not a believer for a good chunk of his life and was pretty hostile and like don't don't want to have anything to do with that his mom was very devout and was praying for him but um he was like no nah, no nah, that's not for me and he wrestled a lot with the philosophies of his day, Plato, Aristotle, a lot of the Greco-Roman philosophers, and over time started to see, hey, maybe there there is room for God in all this. And then, you know, but there were still issues with Christianity he found, you know, hard to believe. And it was actually when he started attending sermons by a pastor named Ambrose, who kind of explained things in a way that he was like, oh, I never thought of it, that kind of That actually sounds like something I could get behind. And over time, he kind of softened intellectually. But then there was this other issue, which was he had a very active sex life and was very promiscuous. and Like this was kind of part of his lifestyle and identity. And there was a there's a moment in the book where he talks about having kind of this mystical encounter with God where he's like, God, I can't give this up. Like this is this is part of who I am. This is like important to me. I don't know how to live without this. And he felt that God said, you're right. And you're not the only one lots of people have struggled with this have had you know have had a hard time living in a way that pleases me sexually but it's not you who does it it's going to be me who works it in you if you just yield to me i will do this in you and there was kind of this moment where you know literal come to jesus moment where augustine was like huh maybe there's something life-giving here that's deeper than these other things i've been pursuing and if i let god in He'll take care of the rest. And, you know, intellectual skepticism, um, sexual issues, uh, you know, those are going around today. Those are reasons people struggle with Christianity today. And so may, the, the flavor might be different, but, you know, there is nothing new under the sun. And so I think a bit about in in Hebrews, um, the book in the Bible where it says, you know it talks in Hebrews 11 about all these people who struggled with faith in their own way. Abraham, God promised him something and Abraham looked at the facts and was like, yeah, that's not that's not going to happen unless God does something miraculous. And all these people who faced challenge after challenge and persevered because their faith was placed in something that was solid. And then at, in Hebrews 12 it says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, so run the race. So I think about when I was in cross country in high school or when I ran marathons in college or half marathons and you're running and you have people on both sides of you cheering you on. And the imagery there is that the people who came before us, Abraham, Augustine, you know, people even a couple years ago, um, they're cheering us on. And so I think, you know, it's worth talking about how can we cheer each other on? You know, when someone we know is saying, hey, there's this really difficult thing about faith. I don't know if I can buy it. You know, I don't know if I, this, this is hard for me to, to buy into. How do we walk with them? But I think it's, it's useful to know, hey, we're not alone. A lot of people have wrestled with these things. Um, there is hope because um, God has helped other people and he can help me.
0: I think that what you're kind of pointing out is really, really important to consider. And that's that feeling of aloneness that, that uh, somebody who's struggling with the faith is going to have. Uh, because you look around and nobody else looks like they're struggling with the faith. And, and so these questions that you're sort of starting to ask, it's because you don't know the answer, which means it feels like they're the first time this question has ever been asked. It's not a question that Augustine figured out 1,500 years ago. Rather, it's the brand new, this is actually something nobody's ever considered before. And everything is false because of it alone feels that you don't really know how to tackle. And it 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 wants to sort of shut your mouth. But one of the things I've I've sort of found is I've I've gotten to sort of wrestle with, with the faith with people who are struggling as I've struggled with it myself is that we all ask more or less the same questions. And uh, it's kind of astounding to the people going through it at the time that there actually are answers. Um, and the questions that I get asked over and over again, I have answers for because I have answered them dozens of times, hundreds of times, and that doesn't make them less important. It doesn't make them less severe, but it means that, that these are actually the important things that we, we ought to be talking about with each other. This is where we get to sort of cheer each other on, where we get to sort of stumble and wrestle sometimes through this faith together. It, it's, a, it's actually a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, another aspect of this is kind of the culture of church. And I think it's easy when you go to church to feel like you're on display or that everybody's on display or that everybody's got it together. And the fact is, nobody gets it. Nobody's got it together. And I think sometimes we do each other a disservice when we treat church as a place where we have to act like we have it all together, because that's that's not biblical. That's not real. That's not helping anybody. Um and so having this this realness of hey this is actually something i'm struggling with i don't have it all together i i have this thing that i don't know what to do about and i it, i feel like i'm not as valid a christian because of it but i don't i can't i can't ignore it and i think there's this thing where we feel like to be to be members of a church or part of a christian community we have to like qualify But you look at Jesus and how how did you qualify for being with Jesus? It was by being with Jesus when he was in his earthly ministry. It wasn't, you know, he didn't look for the people who had credentials. In fact, he gravitated toward the people who had no credentials, who made everybody else uncomfortable because they were really, really like not okay. You know, people who were like sex workers, white collar criminals, the kind of people that everybody was like, yeah, don't, you know, he's kind of. Not okay, you know. Mm-hmm. And th- these are the people Jesus gravitated toward. And I think we've lost some of that in the church, where we kind of think we have to, you know, button it up and hold it all together. And I think we do ourselves a disservice because it, it it makes that feeling of aloneness uh, more acute.
0: And I, I think sort of uh, one of the things that that leaves us on the other side of of somebody who who feels so alone. Like once this is sort of out the bag, so to speak, once the the your kid finally has the courage to tell you they're struggling with the faith. Once uh, once your friend finally voices this thing that they have probably been wrestling with for weeks or months or or sometimes longer, um, th- the you feel very far from them because you want it fixed, you want it gone. And, and I think maybe something to. Imp- important to, to talk about as we, we talk about sort of walking with somebody who is, is going through a deconstruction is you're not going to fix it in a conversation. You might have the answers to their questions. You might have the faith that is true, but they're struggling with it. And, and that struggle is allowed to actually continue past the end of that particular conversation. You're, you, you're still with them. They're still with you. But one of the things that the devil would do is, is sort of say like, all right, I've heard the answers and, and I'm chewing on them. I, I it's Lord, I believe help my unbelief, but help my unbelief. You actually get to sort of go to sleep at night knowing that it is the Holy Spirit who calls, gathers, enlightens, sanctifies, and keeps us in faith. It is not your job to convince somebody this is true. It is not your job to pull them back from the brink. It is not your job to come up with the right argument. It is not your job to work where the Holy Spirit works. You get to speak the teachings that the apostolic faith has handed down, and this is how the Holy Spirit works. But it's ultimately the Holy Spirit that does the job in his own time, and he's way more patient than you, and that's infinitely frustrating. But the Holy Spirit works through these conversations.
1: Yeah, no, I think that that that's really important. Um, I experienced this in my journey because when I first opened up to my parents as, hey, I've got these doubts. I'm not sure any of this is true. At first, the dynamic was I wanted them to fix it and they wanted to fix it. And that didn't work because the stuff I was wrestling with was not stuff they had wrestled with. So they hadn't probed it as deeply as I had. And so they just didn't have the resources from their own experience to help something that was a huge turning point was when I took ownership and stopped looking to them to fix it. And I realized there are other resources out there that can help me from people who have walked this path more than my parents have. And when my parents said, this is something that God is doing in you, we are here to walk with you and to love you and accept you unconditionally and support you where we can, but we're not going to be able to fix it. And that's so freeing but it's also very difficult because you want to fix it you want to take the pain away you want to make the problem go away but i think there's something freeing at a a deep level of saying hey it's not up to me you know going back to the hebrews passage after it talks about the great cloud of witnesses and running the race that is marked out for us it says jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith not my parents not my pastor, not my best friend, they may help, they may be instruments Jesus uses, but it's God who's the one who's working the faith in me. And sometimes he may have me take a long struggle that's very difficult and takes a long time to piece the puzzle pieces together because he he knows there's something greater on the other side that he's preparing me for. And I think that, that there can be hope in that, but it's also it's also difficult in the day in and day out when you're not there yet, when you're still facing the struggle. But I think remembering that it's not any one person who necessarily will fix it, but it's Jesus and it can take time.
0: Absolutely. So just sort of practically then, um what what tips do you have for us to to sort of walk with or wrestle alongside somebody who's who's struggling?
1: I think one thing, um One thing that can be very helpful is um, emotional intelligence. We don't talk about this a lot um, in the church, but I think we should. Um, There's this book that I I don't know the the reference, but it talks about how if you want to be spiritually mature, you have to be emotionally mature because we're whole people. We're not just minds. We're not just wills. We also have emotions and dealing with emotions in real ways not just slapping a jesus sticker and saying i'm anxious but jesus says don't be anxious so now i'm not anxious and so i think where it comes in with the deconstruction is saying what's going in me when this per- what's going on inside of me when this person says this, and not projecting our needs onto the other person. You know, I need this person to not have this problem, so I want to make it go away. Well, that's not helpful. Or I'm anxious because I'm afraid they're going to walk away from their faith, so I'm going to try to control the situation. I think the thing, number one, being aware of what's going inside of it, and number two, dealing with it in healthy and spiritually mature ways where you take it to Jesus, maybe you need to talk to a friend and say, hey, this is hard but not trying to impose my needs on the other person, because then you're not really helping them. Then you're helping yourself and you could possibly make things worse for them. So I think that's huge. I think what we talked about of not trying to fix it is hard, but I think very important. And I think one thing that is so important, so important, can't emphasize this enough, is to model the unconditional acceptance Jesus offers um, because I think it can be very, very scary when you're deconstructing to feel like belonging in a Christian community, belonging in a f- with Jesus followers has strings attached. You know, you can do this if you struggle. With lust, You can do this if you struggle with temper tantrums. If you struggle with same-sex attraction, that's out of bounds. If you struggle with doubting that this is actually true, that's out of bounds because it makes us uncomfortable. If you struggle with your gender identity, that's out of bounds. Fact of the matter is none of these things are out of bounds for God, but sometimes they are for us as a Christian community, and I think that grieves God. And so understanding how to enter into the gray areas, not saying we're going to compromise truth, but also saying we're going to recognize there's nuance. And sometimes there's a journey for someone to wrestle with this, and it's not going to be fixed overnight. And sometimes there's going to be difficulty in the midst of it, and it's not going to be sunshine and roses because maybe there are answers. So I think that the that the posture of unconditional acceptance and saying, hey, whatever the thing is you're struggling with it's not a surprise to god it doesn't freak him out it may freak me out and that's where the emotional intelligence comes in is owning your emotions and not projecting them Mm -hmm. but saying god is not flustered god is not surprised he's not anxious he's not worried and saying because of that when i place my identity and my posture within the heart of God I am able to accept you and love you as you are because I know nothing's too big for God and God is able to deal with this and God loves regardless like God does not love with strings attached that is the heart of the gospel and I think we miss that sometimes when we walk with people practically we miss that the whole point of Christianity the whole point of what Jesus was about is that there are no strings attached I think of you know there's a friend um I have who um talked about how, when he deconstructed, he felt that he didn't belong anymore. And actually, um, if you're in a Calvinist background like this person was, there's this idea that if you walk away from faith then you never had faith to begin with, you know, that's a theological discussion for another time. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the comment this person made that I thought was noteworthy is, is, if you walk away, then you never belonged to begin with. It's, that word belonging i think is significant because um there are ministries i've seen i have friends from college um at christian college who have gone into different kinds of ministry and one of them has this ministry with the tagline belong before you believe and it's the idea of that you are welcome because of god's love for you even when you don't have it all figured out and i think if we were to adopt that posture more as christians it would take some of the tension and some of the um the volatility around these conversations, and it would just diffuse them and allow us to actually be real and talk about the real issues in ways that aren't like reactive to each other emotionally. Mm-hmm.
0: I like that a lot. It, it's it's something to sort of take note of. These are the things that Jesus forgives. These are not the people that Jesus turns away. And, and so we can, we can hang on to a, an ongoing discussion because Jesus won't turn them away ever.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing is like, it's easy to look and say, well, my struggles aren't as bad. And, you know, to kind of rank these things. Really? And I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think I think some humility, and that's where, you know, the things we do in church every day where we confess our sins and we're reminded about who we are on our own and who we are in Jesus. That's mm-hmm. huge. One other thing before we wrap up, though, it's one thing to say I want to love someone. I want to accept them. I want to um, walk with them, all these things. But at the end of the day, sometimes you do need answers and you do need resources. The questions don't go away just by loving. Um, That's critical. It's necessary to set up an environment where things can heal, where things can, um, not cause further problems where relationships aren't ruptured because of these struggles, but also it's, it can be important to provide resources. And we talked about that last time. And I think sometimes, um, the resources Christians tend to offer tend to be a little bit shallow, um, and sometimes people like to say, hey, this is this is the answer. And someone who's wrestling through it will say, I'm 10 levels deeper than you and you just glossed over 70 concerns of mine. And then it feels like any answers the church has to offer are not adequate. And so I think sometimes saying, hey, this is what I think, but there's probably more to it. And then also, hey, here's someone who's gone 10 levels deeper than me, who might understand some of the nuances of what you're wrestling with and being okay with someone not being satisfied with the first answer and having to look elsewhere till they really right. get to the bottom of it. And I think so often it's so frustrating to me is whether it's intellectual doubt, science, Um, gender and sexuality, Christians tend to want to have an answer. Because if we can give an answer, that means the problem is gone. That's not how it works. I think sometimes rather than giving an answer, we should be curious and say, what's a better answer than what I'm thinking? Where can I learn? And sometimes that causes us to go to resources where we can learn along with the other person and say, oh, I missed this thing. There is this nuanced aspect I was ignoring. And it causes us to seek deeper resources, ones that wrestle with God's word at a deeper level rather than a superficial level. So I think looking for resources and not just saying the first one that gives any old answer, but being curious and being a learner and saying, hey, what can I learn? What are the people who have really wrestled with this and who have gone deep enough into scripture that they can address the nuances that maybe this other person is feeling that I don't feel because this issue was personal to me? And so uh, there's an aspect of offering resources and also being curious and not just saying any answer is a good answer, because I don't think most of the answers Christians provide in these areas, quite quite frankly, I think are superficial and unhelpful. Um, not that there aren't good answers and that there aren't people doing really good work, but I think we have to be discerning and be open to the fact that maybe we have to learn something.
0: I love that. David, yeah, I can't end on a better note. So thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We should uh, come back and do some more soon.
1: Okay, sounds good. That would be fun. Awesome. Take care. Bye-bye.